Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the idea of what it means to die to self in real life. Right? Not fake life. (laughs) Both of us have the energy level of a dead frog squished under the tires of a Mack truck. Baking in the sun. Yeah. It sh- that, that's something that should be like, what's it called? That Instagram thing I fo- follow? Nature is metal? Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. So if we seem a little uh, down, that's just because we both are tired and low energy. But but this is something Matt and I started talking about um, uh, a couple weeks ago, wasn't it? Just Actually, we're sitting here before we were going to record and just... In that's, conversation, this popped up. That's right. And uh, we hear it all the time. Uh, people talk about the idea of dying to self. Um, sometimes you'll hear it said, you know, laying down your life. Uh, usually, though, they're really just used in the same way. So we want to, we thought we would just try to answer what does that look like? And, and the rationale behind it is rather simple. Many times, Uh, Matt and I find ourselves in some kind of a discipleship relationship or in some sort of counseling situation where we end up giving actually that kind of a a statement. Um, I mean, one of the things if if your pastor is a faithful pastor, he's discipling. He's always interacting with his people. And um, a lot of people want to get discipled, right? Right. But they have no idea what that means Mm -hmm. or they have no end game of, okay, what, why is my pastor actually investing in me? Um, yeah. He sees something, hopefully, um, but have, ha, has the person really thought that through? So we, we usually get a thoughtful nod from a person when we say, hey, you, you know what you need to learn is you just need to learn to start dying to yourself. But also we find that we have to explain what we mean by that. Uh, they, they get the idea, but they don't get what it looks like. Um, and so we found that sometimes we actually almost have to spell it out point by point to them on many different occasions until they actually begin to figure out what we're actually saying and that we're actually serious in what we're saying. I mean, how often our counseling would be simple if we could look at a husband and say, you know what you need to learn to do? Die to yourself. yourself. Yeah. yeah. A wife, a child, a parent. Um, it's just, it's such a simple thing, but we don't really like to think about how it actually looks in our life. And so on, uh, really as an as- side note, we would also say that if you do have a faithful pastor who actually takes time to speak into your life, would you do him a favor and actually take those words seriously? Um, it, it, it is actually a little soul-sucking, I'd say. I'll say that because I'm the older of us. You know, where, where you find yourself looking at a person and you're saying the same thing you told them 10 years ago. Right. 
And you're wondering, maybe he'll get it this time. Maybe, maybe he'll figure it out that my counsel is necessary. It's good. It's wise. It's biblical. And maybe you should just take it and run with it. Um, and so that's really what our outline for the episode is going to be. We're, we're going to try to develop a biblical count, a context of what it means to die to yourself. And then what we wanted to do is just throw out some practical ways that that might look like in real life. It's not going to get real super deep, but it, it might become rather convicting as you listen to it because you're going to hear things that are maybe pet sins sure. that you've been too friendly with. Yeah. So, Yeah, well, with that then, let's just talk a little bit about some of the biblical evidence for this concept. And there are several passages that we could reference, um, but we'll just focus on one here and it'll be sufficient to make the point. Um, But in the show notes, we'll just include some other references. So if if you're interested, check those out. But a good one is Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 25, which says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Um, I also think it's interesting there that he, there's a two-part aspect to this command. It's first you must deny yourself. Yeah, the negative and positive. Yep, Yep. and then take up your cross, which is not a fun thing, and then follow him. Right. (laughs) But the context here, it centers on Jesus telling his disciples uh, in, in verse 21, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And so it's at this point then that our friend Peter, um, <laughs> good old Peter. <laughs> yeah. He, he, the, uh, what is it, the apostle with the foot shaped mouth, right? As he's been affectionately coined. Um, he actually rebukes Jesus there. You know, the story, uh, telling him that this is not going to happen. And it's there that Jesus gives that famous line. He just says, get behind me, Satan. Uh, The point made was that because the will of God was that Jesus was to go and die, he was to endure these things. Anyone trying to resist that plan, therefore, is technically an enemy of God because he's now an enemy of that will of his. And the context is what drives now the rest of the narrative. So we come to the verse itself in verse 24, and it starts out with that word, then. Um, so Jesus is simply now expanding on what just happened with Peter and gives that instruction. So with that in mind, we can confidently say that the opposite of dying to self, in this case, is, is to refuse to obey the revealed will of God. Um, for in fact, this is what Peter was doing. Right, right. The, the cross uh, Jesus was to bear was quite literally the cross that he died upon, the cross that Peter and all others who want to follow Jesus, um, that may be literal or figurative, but it's, it's real nonetheless. There's hardship there. There's, there's shame attached to following Jesus Christ, and the Christian is to embrace that without flinching. And so it's here that we get the idea of dying to self. Um, simply put, it's a willful choice, and that's a key word, a willful choice to set aside our own agenda and instead pursue Christ in his agenda. For Peter, it was not to seek to prevent Jesus from going to the cross. Uh, But the application uh, of this is rather wide, and that's just what we're going to expand on here. And so um, you want to give us— Yeah, so we we simply identified several keys 
key areas of life. We do this all the time. Um, and these are areas that each of us experience, regardless of our culture or background. Uh, we want to now simply develop what it might look like to die to self in those areas. So again, dying to yourself is where you set your own agenda aside and you instead pursue the agenda of Christ, right? Put off and uh, on. Yeah, put off and put on. Yep. So um, the first big one that we came up with was finances. Um, Jesus says that we cannot, though we try hard, we cannot serve God and money and possessions. We will love one or hate the other one. And I am pretty sure that most Americans, uh, believers, don't really believe that's true. Um, and we're, we, I don't mean that in a harsh way. I'm not trying to be unkind. Um, but I really think that most Christians in America really think that there is a way to serve both. Um, they just haven't figured it out yet. Uh, so what are some ways you might die? That's what we would ask you. What are some ways you might die to yourself with regard to your finances, how you might set aside your agenda with regard to the uh, making money and spending money and saving money and, and how you view your money. Um, in reality, every one of these categories that we're going to list are really categories of faith. And, and what I mean by that is that they require you to look beyond the here and now to see what is promised. I mean, Christ says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, what the heck does that look like? You know what I mean? Where you will uh, not lose those treasures that you store up in heaven, but that requires faith because you know what storing up treasures here on earth looks like. You can you can have more and more things, especially in America where money is so easy to make. You can you can easily see your treasure build and grow, and you can watch your 401k get larger and larger. You can start talking about your retirement years and everything else. But what does it look like to store up instead? Because you're forbidden to do that. Right. <laughs> you're forbidden. Not, not, it's not just friendly suggestion. Hey. Don't store up treasures here. Yeah. I mean, that's your option. Think about it. Maybe you want to try that. He literally commands, don't do that, but instead do it for eternity. So what does that look like? It requires faith. Um, same thing with any of these other categories. To die to yourself requires that you're going to go counter to what this world is going to tell you. Yeah, and it's hard because because of that two-pronged nature of the command. It's you must first deny yourself, then follow Jesus. And we're used to having so much in this country that we think we can just follow Jesus and we don't have to first deny self, actively deny self. Right. Um, so in the case of money, it means there's just certain things that you you're not going to have, not going to get, which is the opposite of the American message. Um, yeah, I, I just don't get this. I don't get to have this. Not that I'm not capable of getting it. Right. I ha I make enough money to get it. I'm choosing not to. Actively choosing. Yeah, I'm going to deny that. Yep. I will choose loss in a temporary sense, but I will just choose loss here, whether it's a, a smaller house, property, vehicle, whatever it might be, um, because I'm sticking my money somewhere else. Well, like we're doing the, we're trying to start a classical school, right? So what's that mean? I mean, parents who maybe want to put their kids in the classical education, but they're saying, how much is the tuition? I don't know if I can afford it. The question really that they ought to be asking as well is, well, we haven't set tuition yet, but is, are they really asking, can we, uh, we want to know if we can afford it? Or are they actually saying, can we afford it by, without it costing me? Meaning exactly. I don't have to maybe forego buying 
the newer car that I've been saving for or upgrading my house to include some land and more square footage or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, something like that, that's simply a denying self. By faith, I want my children better educated. I want them to be raised up to be critical thinkers, blah, blah, blah. It's going to cost me. So what What do we say no to for the sake of of that? What, you know, we have a friend who has a need and and we're be warmed and be filled, you know. Right, right. But we're not we're not going to say, you know what, kids, we're getting no gifts this year. None. We're we're just going to put this money towards something uh, of a greater value. It's I mean, once you start running with it, dying to yourself with regard to your finances is a huge, yeah. huge thing. I, I have a, a family in our church when they heard about the struggles that our Ethiopian brothers and sisters are having due to the COVID, um, they've been giving me faithfully a hundred dollars. They, they're, and they, it costs them, but they're putting aside a hundred dollars and they keep giving me envelopes with it that I can then in turn send via, uh, Western union to these pastors who are struggling to eat because, you know, of the, of the restrictions that are going on in Africa. I'm like, now there's a, there's an, a hard attitude that shows an eternal perspective versus others who are like, wow, that's a shame. But, you know, it never enters their mind to help somebody who has a genuine need. We're not, we're not yelling again. We're just saying, What's it look like to die, deny yourself when it comes to your finances? It's it's easy to say, but if I were to look at if we were to look at your checkbook and your spending habits, does it reflect a dying to self? I guess that's all. Yeah, and and that's the easy one, right? Yeah, because uh, even Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And so finances are always a kind of low hanging fruit to grab. But there's other areas. Yeah, how about friendships? How how would how would you Counsel a person with regard to friendships. Yeah, well, uh, Romans 12, 16 is a good passage uh, where Paul there says, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Again, there's the put off, put on, right? Yeah. First, don't be haughty in your own mind. Now put on, associate with the lowly. Um we flip those sometimes. We associate with the lowly, and it gets us popped up, <laughs> right? But we just say, how, you know, how do you go about choosing relationships? Uh, what are the things that you're looking for in people? Uh, does your relationships that you're seeking do they really just serve to fulfill you, or are you willfully choosing to be a friend to somebody so that you can serve them, knowing that it's going to cost you? Yeah. I remember giving counsel to a, a lady who was bitter and frustrated in in one way or another. But part of it was I don't know anybody. I don't really have any friends. And so I inquired of her. Uh, I met with her and her husband. I just said, so tell me what you do on a Sunday. Describe for me your how you act in church. And I got some pretty vague answers. And so I said, tell you what, here's what I'm going to require of you for the next couple of months. When you go to church, you have to get there early enough, so like a half hour early before church. And then I want you to go up to a person that you do not know and introduce yourself and then do nothing but ask them questions about themselves. You're forbidden 
of talking anything about yourself. You, you, all you're going to do is ask them about their, their background, their life, their, what, what they enjoy doing, what, what sadnesses. I said, you're not allowed at all to talk about yourself. And what I want you to do is just do that. And then same thing after service. And I want you to begin to learn how to die to yourself. Yeah. You know, yep. you know, because a lot of people who say, oh, I don't have friends, what they really mean is I don't have people who are meeting my needs, right? I don't have them making me feel good. Um, and, you know, whenever you have that person who loves to talk about their struggles, their trials, their hardships, their sadnesses, whatever, it's really all about it's all them. all about them, yeah. right. And, and after a while, people start avoiding you because they know that you're just, you, you're not interested in them. You're really just interested in having somebody to feel bad for you. So a great way to learn to die to yourself in making friendships is actually making a friendship that you get nothing out of. Right. Which is what he and says. That's hard. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Really, is hard. But but it's amazing though how many people. I mean, I'll have conversations with, and not one time will they inquire. Will they ask a question? Hey, how you doing? Or what's going on here? It's literally just, I run out of questions yep. to to keep asking them, and at some point the conversation's done. But right there, it's showing me a mindset. It's showing me a position or a posture that they have just toward other people, and then toward themselves that. They're, you know, they they just talk about their struggles, as you were saying, their issues, what's going on in their life, but never once inquire. And why do you inquire? Because you want to seek to ha- see how you can serve someone or give a word of encouragement or whatever it right. might be. Well, we even talked about also in another pat, uh, podcast on friendships, I think, about the faithful wounding, you know, that, uh, you know, when you're inquiring that you also may find yourself having to die to yourself by getting into those gnarly, uncomfortable things where they're, where you need to maybe correct them. Um, friendships is just a great place to learn to die to yourself. <laughs> yeah. As long as your friendship is not about you, but, but seeking the well-being of the other person, you'll find ample opportunities. What's a beautiful thing is when you have your friend died to themselves as well toward you. So you both are almost like outdo, seeking to outdo each other in dying to self. That's just a great friendship because um, you're literally serving one another yeah. in a reflexive kind of man- manner. Yeah, and it's also a big one that I talk about with um, in premarital a lot, and I'm especially looking at the man, how he has to go to work all day. And then he has to come home and his, he doesn't just get to be done at that point, right? I know you've talked about this a lot too, but when you walk into that home and you're looking at your wife who's maybe been home all day wrangling the kids, it's now you're at your second job yep. where now you got to serve your wife and serve your children and pick up where she left off, so to speak. That takes dying to self because you're tired. Yes, yes, very much so. I, I mean, you want to see dying to yourself, watch a faithful mother. I mean, right? She gets up early. She yep. cares for her children. She, I mean, her whole life is is so often just centered around dying to the uh, to self for the sake of the well being of the children. Yeah, and then the father comes home and drapes wants himself. to be served. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But dying to yourself to say, "Hey, um, how can I help? How can I encourage you? How can I um, correct, lead, 
all of those. The, the world of friendships is just a huge, huge area. And anyone wanting to get into the church leadership, so any of you that are thinking you might be called to pastorate, trust me, your whole life is going to be doing this. So you might as well practice it prior to becoming a pastor. You're going to be really, really bad uh, at being a pastor. It's you're always seeking the well-being of somebody else. How are they doing? How can I encourage yeah. them, correct them, instruct them, et cetera? And, and pastors quickly discover very seldom does anyone ever. When was, I, I mean, do you, do you know when the last time somebody inquired about the well-being of your soul? I'm, I'm not trying to rip our church here. I'm just, yeah. can you? Yeah, there's one or two who do, and regularly, pretty consistently. I have a, but they're it. They're it. Our elder John is really good about that. Well, I was just going to praise him a little bit because uh, he's an excellent example of a lay elder who he works all day. He's got his own family, but you know the church isn't like second tier to him. No, he he loves this church, and so there are many of nights where he just he doesn't get to go home and just spend time with his family. He's got to take care of issues and do all kinds of things, and so he's got a very full load and. He gets paid nothing for it. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> He's storing up treasures well, in heaven. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, he is a good example of that. And again, uh, any man who's saying, I, I think I'd like to be an elder. All right. Then first step for you is think about what's it mean to die to yourself by, by way of inviting people over to your house who might not be easy, uh, might be challenges to you. They're not going to fulfill some hidden need in you. Rather, you're going to seek to come alongside them that you might build them up. And, and that might include somebody that can be rather prickly or contentious or difficult. And yeah. you're going to just show patience toward them, kindness, just like our, our Lord is to us. Yeah, exactly. And and on that point too, when you're when you're a pastor and elder, you're essentially a disciple at large. Yeah. Right? And so you think about that in the context of Matthew 28, it's how do you make disciples? Well, the first aspect of that is going. And so you're constantly you're proactive in that sense. You're not just sitting there waiting people to come to you because you think you have some great thing to offer. Rather you're going and you're seeking out. And many times it's the sheep that you don't necessarily want, right. want to be around all you the know, time. You know, another person worthy of praise would be like our friend Taylor. Mm -hmm. Now, his father was a pastor, and I, I suspect that part of this is just because he's watched his father uh, as he grew up. But he genuinely wants to be your friend, well, he's meaning the, he, your friend or my friend. He he doesn't. He's not coming over to hang with us so that he can get something out of it. He's genuinely trying to encourage us, which is... Yeah, sometimes awkward for me because I'm not used to. <laughs> well, I'm not either. And well, he's the, one of the two I'm thinking of, <laughs> but he is my friend too. Um, and then he's going to hate us talking about this. Uh, <laughs> let's so, let's let's really make him hate and give more examples. But you know, his wife's listening to this yeah. right now, and she's giggling. Yes, <laughs> Taylor, you got to listen to this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. But but again, it it is that, and it is. Um, it is the life of a, a, a true friend is just not asking what they're going to get out of this relationship, but what they can give and, and, and how they might minister. So yep. what, what about your emotions, your yeah, feelings? Here's another big one. Um, a good, good one here is Proverbs 25, 28. I use this one all the time in counseling. Yeah, like a city, a city, I'm just 
I won't embarrass her. Um, like a city <laughs> that is broken down and without a wall, so is a person who cannot control his temper. Uh, or Proverbs 22, 29, 22, an angry man stirs up strife and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. Now here the parallelism is, is striking. Uh, emotions have consequences. Um, and you can apply this to any emotion and then just consider its consequences. Um, when, when you do not put your emotions under control, then they just will lead to destructive results. Um, sin's going to abound. You're going to create fighting. Yeah. Okay. So you show up at church and you're in a bad mood. I don't give a flying rat still. <laughs> Die to yourself. Yeah. You know I mean, you're not, you don't come to church and then just sit off in the corner and mope. Nope. Um, there, I, I mean, I, I, there's people you, sometimes you see and you just want to kick them. It's like, what are you, what are you doing? Um, you're almost daring people to inquire how you're doing. Um, but, or, or in a marriage where you've had a bad day. Um, and so mom and children are going to suffer for it or husband and children are going to suffer for it. You know, it's like, there's, there's no place for that. Your emotions um, you've got to have, you've got to learn to corral your mo- emotions so that whatever you're feeling at the given, any given time is not how you're going to express yourself. Right. Um, but that requires you to die to yourself. I'm discouraged, but this person needs encouragement. Um, I feel betrayed. Nobody cares. Right. Um, you're, are you going to speak kindness to that person who's betrayed you? I remember that's something Kim and I uh, my wife um, had to learn early on as pastor and wife. You know, she, early, early in our pastorate, I had frequent uh, situations where they were trying to vote me out um, and get rid of me as pastor for one reason or another. And Kim would find out about these. And I, w- I tried to hide her, hide from her, most of them, because she just didn't need to know. But it's impossible. It was a small church, right? And but I would have to admonish her, and unfortunately, it was easy to do because she was so teachable on it. But you know, look, Sunday's coming, and you're going to look at that person who has been doing a phone campaign to try to get enough votes to get me fired. You're going to go and show love to them. (laughs) You know, Sunday's sitting there, and you're looking over there, and there's a person with their smile, and the whole time you know they've been stabbing the husband in the back and and it's like no go speak a word of kindness to him go speak a word of encouragement you got to put your emotions aside you you just have to you have to um be driven by biblical mandates and right um i'm going to deny myself because i really want to say a choice word to that person but i'm going to take up my cross and and follow uh, first peter 2 where Christ did not utter a threat when he was reviled, but he kept entrusting himself to his Father who judges all things righteously. Uh, it says that he left, he did that by way of an example for us to follow. Um, we're going to be hated. We're going to have people attack us. And I'm not talking just as pastor. I'm saying humans. Right. Um, and so will you remember that? Or will you set that aside and die to yourself and say, it's still a brother or sister in Christ, I will choose love that 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 takes work it does because it's easy to understand that concept and as a christian know that's the right thing to do but it's another thing to then do it or or another emotion i'm i'm fearful <sighs> okay is it going to control you yeah, yeah i don't i mean okay you're afraid but you still have to you have to obey you can't say well i'm just so anxious 
I don't care. I mean, honestly, if they could hear my what my brain was saying sometimes when I listen to people, they're like, I, I, uh, I, I, that's scary. And it's like, what do I care if it's scary? Right. Yep. Goodness, you know, uh, how many times parenting is done out of fear, or usually it's lack of parenting, is done out of fear. I'm afraid my kids won't love me. I'm afraid that they'll run away. I'm afraid this, I'm afraid that. Uh, it doesn't make me feel good. I don't like disciplining my child. Um, it's, it's your, at that point, you become a slave now to your emotions rather than a slave of Christ, I guess is all I'm, I'm saying. No, that's, uh, yeah, it's a big one. Another one under the emotion category is anger. I like Ephesians 4.26 because it's one that many pass over, but he says, be angry. That's a command. Yeah. It literally a command that therefore you should obey. Yeah. <laughs> he says, be angry and yet do not sin. So apparently it's possible to be angry and not yet sin. Yep. Um, which, by the way, is the perpetual state of God. Yep. He is in the perpetual state of being angry, but he doesn't sin. So here it's, it's uh, anger at um, an injustice. Um, and they're committed against us all the time. Uh, so he says, be angry and yet do not sin. But then he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, this is a good one with regard to this concept of dying to self. Um, again, the anger here itself is not considered by Paul a sinful thing. Um, later in verse 31, there is an anger that's sinful, but that is not what he's talking about here. Instead, it's bringing that anger under control so you can handle it correctly um, rather than it handling you, so to speak, which is the normal course of action. And we pointed out in that Impatience podcast episode, um, there is a good place for anger because it, it, it forces you to rise up to an injustice yes. and deal with it rightly. But he says here, just don't let it go down on your anger, uh, the sun go down on your anger. In other words, deal with it. Right. So you're allowed to be angry. That's going to move you to address the injustice, but then you have to deal with it. And do deal with it righteously. So right. you're angry, so you don't smack your wife across the room, I'm talking as a husband, right? Uh, or your child, or or you, or scratch the eyes of your husband out. You, there's a righteous anger that ought to be. By the way, real quickly, Psalm 711 is where... It actually says that God is angry with the wicked every day. And yeah. um, so if you ever wonder, ah, I don't know, that's true. <laughs> actually, no, it is true. <laughs> every day, all of the wickedness of this world assaults God's holiness, and he's angry with it. Um, and so there is that, that that ability to say, I'm angry. Now, how do I address it? Um, let that provoke. I, I know of parents who spend time feeling guilty because they got angry. Uh, because they're childlike. And I'm like, you should be angry. You should be very angry when you catch your child with a, a high-handed sin like that. Or or I've had, I actually had one man try to counsel, this was years ago, he tried to counsel a young woman who had been molested. Check this out. I don't know if I ever told you that. Um, and his counsel to her and the parents were, well, God is sovereign. And so obviously he did, he he allowed this to happen for his purposes, and we just need to accept that. And when I found that out, because the father was angry, <laughs> he's like, that just doesn't seem right. I'm like, on a theological level, I know what he was trying to say, but he said it wrongly. I said, no, um, we we deal with the revealed will of God. And right. It's not God's revealed will that a girl submit herself to molestation. Um, 
And he has given us the means by which we can express that anger through justice. And we actually pursued legal proceedings to have the guy arrested and mm-hmm. um, put in prison, uh, and right, rightly so. But parents should not ever be feeling guilty somehow that when they see their children in open rebellion, that there should be the anger. But let that anger then be guided by the Word of God so that you can address it. The right way. Right. Not letting it control you. Yeah. I mean, how many husband and wives have fights that just are, when you look backwards, you're embarrassed because you, you got angry, but then you didn't deal with it in a righteous you know, manner where, okay, this is wrong. And we're gonna do, we're gonna address it in a in a God God honoring manner. Yeah, we're not giving licentiousness here for what Paul said, calls outbursts of anger, right? Where you're just given to and making every issue therefore now an issue of justice, right? And along uh, along with that also is then we've already talked on it, but your mood, right? Your your mood can't control your your situation, so you're angry. But you're not going to let that control you. It, you're going to shepherd that anger in a righteous manner. Um, you can't come home in a bad mood and take it out on those who are present. Um, I, I expect a three-year-old. Like, how old is Levi? Is he two now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's two. So I expect, <laughs> you know, if yeah. it, well, you you address it though. I'm right. I I know you and Lydia are whenever you see him uh, handle himself. You were just telling me about how you guys are teaching him. He, yeah, he's given to his emotions, and for over a year already at this point, we've been dealing with that and addressing it. And he's he know he knows and understands self control, but just by his nature, he's given to those quick upsets. Yeah, and he's he's not allowed to, and anymore. Well, the pleasure of that though is I purposely put him on my lap up on the stage this Sunday when we had that. Uh, school meeting. It was over an hour long, and he sat up on the stage on my lap, and he fidgeted and wiggled and stuff. But he was so much under control as a two-year-old um, that he was a pleasure to have. I wasn't like, "Oh, that was a bad idea." <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, are just because a child is not happy because you're telling them be quiet or sit still is not does not justify them losing control. But I, I know, like, I'll hear Lydia when she's talking to little Levi, your um, your wife, she'll whisper to him, show self-control. And he knows what that means. He, I mean, a little two-year-old understands the concept of self-control, of I can take a deep breath, I can bring my emotions back under control. Well, that's going to it's going to serve him so well. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, so when he's 10, you're not having to now somehow say, man, you're out of control, boy. Um, and now you're trying to clean up something that's been 10 years in making. You're you're now able to speak to his heart and, and address things. So, And now when we expect him to respond to us in a certain way, like we'll give him a command and, he'll, and we'll, um, we'll say, what are you supposed to say? He'll go, yes, Papa. But sometimes he's not happy when he needs to obey and say, yes, Papa. And so he'll do it in this whimpering kind of whiny thing. Totally unacceptable. And I'll look at him and say, Levi, be a man and say it loud and clearly. And he'll he'll say it louder, but then he'll like kind of look away. And he'll say, no, look <laughs> yeah, at me. I can picture him doing say, that. And say, yes, Papa. And he'll have to look at me. And he'll sometimes he'll stick his chest out and he'll go, yes, Papa. Like he'll do it. Not happy necessarily, but he's being taught that he cannot be controlled by his emotions there. Right. He needs to act despite his emotions. And, and 
we haven't talked about, but so dying to yourself as a parent, that's a good example there too. Um, you're on the couch, you're tired, it's been a long day, and you say, hey, Levi, go clean up your room. And he whines. Die to yourself. Get up off the couch and say, and no, yeah. I need to teach my son. It's going to mean I have to say things three times, not out of threats, like one, two, no. three, but it's, yeah. okay, you did it, but you didn't do it rightly. You still didn't do it rightly. There you go. Good boy. And you're teaching them, but that requires dad to die to self, mom to die to self, and Levi to die to self. Everyone's learning how to die to self, but something as silly sounding to, in some people's ears as, yes, Papa. But it's like, no, it's, there's something bigger going on behind that. We, we, we made our children eat everything on their plate. I, I've never understood parents who tolerate their children to not eat what's, you know, it, it wasn't the fact that the food, they didn't like the food. It was mom made that. And I labored to make money so we could buy that food. You're going to eat it, and you're going to eat it with gratitude. And if you're not going to eat it with gratitude, at least you'll eat it. <laughs> and But you're going to learn to say, I'm going to eat this even though I don't want it. It's just, again, another small way of teaching your children what it looks like to die to self in a very safe controlled environment because the principle is true yeah life's going to give you a whole bunch of dishes that you're not going to want to you know eat but you want to uh, you got to honor god you still got to do it i remember uh, a parent this again years ago their kid would crawl under the pews and grab people's feet while i was preaching so every once in a while you'd hear a yelp <laughs> and a person would jump and then the kid would get up and run run through the church i'm just like grab your kid and park him um, and I talked to the mom and dad. I'm like, look, you need to get your son under control. This is not proper. And I remember the excuse they gave me was, he's only four. Yeah, your, your eyes just went four. <laughs> exactly. and, and I looked at him and I said, I don't care. I said, when the, your son has to learn to sit still at some point. What, what, what's the magic age? Um, is it 15? Is it 20? I mean, do you think any boss is going to tolerate a guy who's never at his desk when he's supposed to be working. Um, and I said, so the sooner you teach your son the self-control of sitting, uh, the better off you're going to be. So anybody uh, who's listening to us, if you have kids who can't literally sit still without being distracted for 15 minutes, you have a problem. Mm -hmm. and, and But it's learning then to begin to give him a situation where he can learn to sit still for 15 minutes. So start small. But start young, and and you will bless us mm -hmm. um, years from now. Yeah, and there'll be times even just quickly on this one with with our children. The difficult time to do this is at night because they're tired, and even if it's like on a Sunday where they just don't get a nap at all. Um, oh, yeah, that isn't that the most common excuse you hear from parents? He's just tired, and it's like mm -hmm. I don't care. It'll be yeah, it'll be at night when I actually lay things on heavier on purpose because I want the opportunity to be able to train them. And I, we were just talking over lunch. I said, no other area of life does things just happen. You have to provide a training opportunity. Yes. And so I'll intentionally do things when I know they're tired. And I know it might be a bit a more pain in the butt for me. That's a theological phrase, <laughs> right? They're pain in the butt. Pastors <laughs> use it all the time. They just don't let you know that. Yeah. If it, <laughs> and it will be a pain for me. And I know it's going to involve disciplines and things like that. But it's also the time is ripe there to train them well. And so now when they're in a good mood, 
it's even easier for them. But again, you got to die to yourself because it's night and you're tired. Yeah. I'd and, like to and, just tuck them into bed. And, right. Right. Uh, there's, yeah. It, it, we could go on and on. Yeah. And in fact, I hope we'll do some parenting stuff as time goes on where we can kind of get some practical ideas. But um, you, you can't do that. Or what you end up with is a 20-year-old who walks around with their emotions on their sleeve, right? And, and you're looking at them and you're like, my two-year-old shows more self-control with his emotions than you do. Well, that's because mom and dad chose not to teach them. Yeah. And so now they're having to learn at 20 and that's it's hard because they got habits and well-worn paths in their heart, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, everyone knows they're having a bad day. Everyone knows they're tired. They have to tell everyone all these things. It's like, or <laughs> you could just bring that under control and quietly go about your day. Yep. Yeah. Okay. How so, about time? Yeah. So time. Uh, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, uh, Paul writes, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise making the most of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Uh, time, time's an incredible gift that's often squandered yeah. um, because we don't understand it. Um, we all have the same amount of time each day. We all make decisions that take up portions of that time. We can be jealous about our time and not realize it, it's a commodity that's to be in used for the service of Christ. Yeah, I wonder I wonder how many of our listeners actually have thought that one through well, that God has given us all 24 hours every day, and it's it's actually a treasure. It's it's a commodity. It's something that we possess. Now, are we using it for ourselves or the cause of Christ? You know? Yeah. So think about different ways that you can say your time was robbed. Um you know, you wanted to get some chores, things done around the house, but you chose to die to self. And because a qualification of an elder is to be hospitable, you instead have some people come over and they take up your time. But you're you're willingly doing that because that's what hospitality requires of you, right? Um, how many how many people use their home as their retreat rather than their mission field? Um, I mean, when we're to saying use your time well, that doesn't mean that you schedule out every minute so that you're always accomplishing something that pleases you. In fact, dying to yourself will usually mean that your time is being used in ways that are not not pleasing yourself, but you're pleasing your Lord, right? You're you're, uh, taking the time to care for somebody who's difficult. Um, it's it, taking the time to give counsel to a person who needs counsel. It's, uh, it's, it's taking the time to show your little boy how to tie his shoe for the umpteenth time or whatever. But time is one of those unique commodities that you've got to figure out, what do I, how am I going to use this to the glory of Christ? Right. Um, and I'll just say a word here because I know that there's some guys who want to do pastoral ministry. Obviously, you know this one well. But pastors have a weird life and a weird schedule because you're working all day, right? I mean, you got your sermons to do, you're writing stuff like this, you got just various administrative things. But then, unlike other regular jobs where you can go home at night, every single night's filled up with meetings because that's when other people are off right. work. And and it could be easy for people to say, well, yeah, that's your job, you're a pastor. It's like- <laughs> Are you listening to yourself? <laughs> we work all day too. 
but then we have to give up most of our nights to, and so even for those who want to be elders, lay elders, this is how you got to think if you want to be a pastor, which is what a lay elder is. You're working all day. You still got your family, but then at nighttime, you got to go meet with people. Yeah. I remember John MacArthur did that. He, um, uh, he discovered that early on when, with the master seminary that some of the graduates were creating problems in their churches because they went there and they, they modeled John uh, early in his ministry. He, he spent 40 hours a week studying. And so they would tell their church, you know, I'm going to need 40 hours a week of study. And the church was like, well, okay. Uh, but they weren't doing anything else. And so John had to come in actually and teach some classes where he's like, look, guys, if you need 40 hours a week, early on in your ministry so you can study and prepare your messages. And now people forget also that John was doing a Sunday night, a Sunday, a Sunday morning sermon, Sunday night sermon, and he was teaching a Sunday school and he was having uh, discipling his elders. So he had four different things he was preparing each week. Um, but he said, I, I did put 30 to 40 hours a week in studying. He's like, and then I put another 30 to 40 hours a week in just cleaning bathrooms and yeah. and sweeping and vacuuming and meeting with people and he's like don't don't you dare go out to your church and tell them give me 40 hours and then you think your job is done your job is not done until your people have been shepherded properly and that's what made John a unique pastor he's not your typical like today celebrity pastor i know of a pastor here in town that we we had a person show up at our church for counsel and I said, why, why don't you ask your own pastor? And they're like, well, he said he doesn't do counseling. He doesn't have time for it. And I'm like, I don't understand that. And I just said, well, then he's not pastor. I don't, don't, don't tell me that. Yeah. Um, but it's learning to do that. And again, if you want to rise up into any level of leadership, you've got to be capable of taking that time, seeing that it's something that you have to um, plan to use it in a way that's useful for the kingdom, not convenient for you. Um, you know, I, I just want to spend time with my kids. Well, sure, I do too. Um, how about you invite another family over and let them spend time with your kids too, and you can do both at the same time and let them actually see how a dad interacts with kids properly. What a, what a concept, right. rather than always behind closed doors because I'm a private person. Yeah. So just a couple thoughts on this. So I'll just quickly say them. So being being too busy to do what is right under this category of time, we would say is simply sin. Choosing what is pleasing to you over what is good for you is folly. Consistently being late says something about you as a person, and we should plan to be hospitable. Yeah. Going back to that late thing, when are you on time for church? Your your ser your church starts at what nine? Nine. So what time is it? When are you on time If in your estimation? Well, you, you, you should be in your seat at nine. Yeah. Which means if you got to drop your kids out, because we start with Sunday school, but the kids go in right away. So you got to get there early, get the kids in class. If you're teaching the class, you need to be there even earlier to be able to receive the kids. Um, so I would say at least 15 minutes. Okay. I'd, I'd say 15 minutes is a bare minimum. I would consider a person late if they're there 40, uh, only 15 minutes early. Because by the time you do bathrooms and everything else, there's absolutely no opportunity for you to interact with a person on a meaningful level. You, you've made church um, uh, 
a commodity for you. I'm here to get preached to. I'm here to hear some singing and sing along. I'm not here to die to myself. I'm not here to show up early and just inquire of the maybe the sound crew. Hey, can I help you? Yeah. Um, to give a good word to the pastor or to just talk to somebody who's new. I mean, how many people do you see that just show up right at starting time and they consider themselves on time? Um, I, I I think that not and and people can disagree with me all they want, but I, I would say that a person who cannot show up early for something that they they have not yet learned how to die to themselves. Now there's times that you just have to sure. right. You got sure, a meeting yeah. and you've got like I'm thinking the other day I I had literally meetings from ten o'clock till seven o'clock was my last meeting. And they were back and back. So, I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. there's times where I'm ushering a guy out of my office as the other guys are standing out there. And they're maybe annoyed because I'm five minutes late. But it's like, I'm not done. And then we just switch. But but learning to not be late. Learning to say, hey, we're going to plan. If you know that it's 45 minutes for you to drive to church, then you leave an hour before church. Yeah, You just do. Yep. Every time. All right. So, uh, skills and service. How about that? Yeah, so this one is uh, recognizing these skills that you may possess if you're a Christian or gifts to the body of Christ to serve. So, like, what do you mean by that? Um, well, I, I would say in anything. I mean, even in your natural skills. Well, yeah. Okay, yeah. so you're not talking about some unique spiritual gift. You're saying you're a plumber. Yeah, I can turn a wrench good, um, which is a skill. <laughs> uh, you know, are you, are you given that, or is it a begrudging, annoying attitude you know, because, well, everyone knows I can turn a wrench good. So everyone keeps coming to me for this. It's like, or you have a wonderful opportunity to serve people and not just viewing it as, well, I got to go and turn a wrench, but it's like, well, turning the wrench gives me now the opportunity to be with someone, to inquire of them, to see how they're doing and serve them in more than just fixing their sink. Yeah. You know, uh, here's a practical illustration. My son-in-law, Tom, wanted to go deer hunting. And so he went deer hunting for the very first time. A couple of father and son uh, from our church took him. He's the only one that got the deer. But what what really tickled me was as he was talking about it, he's like, what was great was that they they showed me how to do everything, you know, how to dress the deer out, everything. He said, but they let me do it. So whether those guys knew it or not, they were dying to themselves in that way. Because trust me, if you know how to dress a deer out, you can do it quick. But it takes time to teach somebody who doesn't know what they're doing how to do it. And it's going to take patience. And you're gifted with fixing a car. Maybe you just need to fix somebody's car. But you also may realize, no, this is a young man. All right, here's the problem. And here's how we're going to fix it. You're going to do it. (laughs) And you're going to have to sit on your hands as you see the guy ineptly using his tools. Or you're like, oh, Lord, you're... Uh, you're killing me here, boy. <laughs> yeah, and I'll praise my brother on this one. Uh, you know, he's a police officer now, obviously, but years ago he was a mechanic, and he worked at Mercedes, which was on the north side of Milwaukee. So he had to drive. It was that far away? Yeah, so he had to drive through that cess called Milwaukee every day to get to work. But I can't tell you the amount of times that he would just fix people's cars in the church just to serve them. Yeah. And, you know... It's a wonderful thing that he's providing for people. Um, I, the, the idea that he would charge people within his own church was foreign to him. 
I mean, it's just foreign to him. I'm not saying you got to do that and that if you do charge somebody, it's sin. But he's just like, I'm not, I don't ever charge because at some point, sharing all things in common means something, especially for someone in need. Yeah. You know? Well, I remember, were you with me when Will uh, changed out my oil coolant yeah. hose or something? Yeah. And he maintained a, we were talking to him, joking and just, having a good time and he was with his bored look he picked up the exact tools that he needed he even knew where when he dropped a screw into the engine he knew where to find it i'm like there's a man who's dropped a few screws <laughs> in it. he's a professional mechanic but but he he did it he did it so nice it was not it was a one-time fix so it's not any value in showing me um but we were able to encourage him as a brand new baby christian and he was able to use a gift that he has of fixing anything to do. Um, I think of a, a, a lady who knows how to cook. Um, if there's a younger woman, to invite her over to your house to learn if she doesn't know how, or or you know a skill like knitting. You know, all of these are just ways you can die to yourself. Are you doing this merely for yourself, or are you saying, "How could I'm going to do canning this this next month? I'm going to be." You know, harvest is coming in. We're going to do a lot of canning. Um, put it out on Facebook. Hey, any ladies who'd like to learn to can, uh, drop me a private message and I'll have you come over and I'll teach you. Yeah, that's going to be harder. You're, you know, right? It's going to be inconvenient to you. But if you're dying to yourself and you're saying, no, I have these skills and I can invest in somebody, good things can come from that. Absolutely. Um, anything else? Well, there's just many of pet sins. That just need to die, right? And and we all have them. What would be, do you have an example of one? Yeah, a love of comfort. Yeah. Um, a love of privacy. I'm a, I'd much rather be alone. I mean, I even tell the church, you know, I don't like people. Um, yeah. And that's, that's, doesn't make, that makes them pastoring in some ways um, weird. Why would I then be a pastor? But actually it's a great way for me to have to die to myself all the time because my my well you got to be approachable yeah and my, if they know you don't like people they want to approach you but <laughs> so so Kim and I at make it our habit Sunday is we invite people to our house yeah. uh, whether we want to or not our home we try to make our home constantly open um, so but but and the amount of fruit that's come out of those Sundays to me has just been amazing oh yeah over the past ten years oh yeah I mean I can look back and say you know. When we had a bunch of single guys showing up, and I remember once I was trying to do some chore in my backyard that I had to get done, and all these young guys are just sitting there staring at me while I'm doing it. I finally laid into a couple of them. I'm like, get your lazy butt off that chair and come over and help me. Huh, what, huh, huh? I'm like, come on, dude. I mean, you're at my house. You're eating my food. I'm talking to you, but I also have to move this firewood from one spot to another. Help me. Yeah. And, you know, and... Some just couldn't quite get that because they were they weren't over to my house to die to themselves. They were there to get something out of me. But actually, it was a two way street, and I could help them understand. Look, when you're over at somebody's house, how can I help? You know, if if you get invited over to somebody's house, you better help clean up after a meal. You better at, <laughs> at least offer. At least offer, right? Yeah, and and go in there and be with the wife. Uh, well, if she's in there washing the dishes or something, offer to wash them, offer to dry something. But um, just, just looking for ways to serve. I remember the first time that we, I think it was the first time I went 
on a international trip. Yes. I think it was to Athens. And we we got off the plane. We had to get luggage for something. And there were, I, I, can't, I can't remember the exact situation, but someone had to carry luggage that they were struggling to carry. And you went over and helped them. And then we got back to the hotel and you were just bugged. And I'm like, what the, what's his deal? You were bugged about something. And you said, I was frustrated because we're here with a bunch of missionaries and not one of them had the eyes to see something as simple as help this woman or person yeah. who just needed a bag baggage. It was, it, that's all it was. It wasn't even hard. It was she classic international travel. She's coming back from America. She's got way too much luggage because she she's bringing back stuff for family. She can't lift the dumb thing off the yeah. carousel. It's like bend your body. Don't stare at her. <laughs> yeah, and, and it 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 was helpful for me just personally. Um, because I know that I was supposed to serve people. I know that's what a good Christian does, right? You be willing to serve. But it stood out to me. I remember that. This was a long time ago, but it was learning to develop proactive eyes to find areas to serve versus waiting till the need is so obvious or someone asks you. It's like, how about you put on the eyes to say, hey, obviously this person needs help. Yeah. How can I serve them? And it's just, it's something simple, but... Yeah, it's it's a mind shift. It's, it is a mind shift, and and so pet sins are those ones that we don't like to call sins, but they're the ones that we're very comfortable with. And it's usually love of privacy, love of time, love of comfort. Um, you know, we're we're going to stroke those sins by thinking that they're okay to have, rather than I'm still called to serve one another, lay down my life for these people. What's that look like? What's that look like at an airport, at a restaurant, whatever it might be? Yeah. Um, bottom line, that's how you become useful yeah. in the body of Christ. Uh, convenience, I guess, is what we're saying. Convenience is never the primary choice when you make decisions of this type. You you have to train those eyes to look for what's needed rather than what you want. Um, yeah. And that it, it takes effort. And it's a skill. I'll just jump in really quick. Not serving people based on what you th think they're needing, but what's yeah. truly needed. Yeah. Cause what might be helpful to you is not necessarily what's helpful to others. So also learning to serve in truly helpful ways is a skill. And I would even say there's times where you have to not serve. That's where it's most helpful, where a person is consistently being lazy and you could go fix that for them, but you're like, you know what? You need to do that. Yeah, this, you're, this you're would encouraging be a, that negligence. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. So, so there's always those balances, and we could get into that in another podcast. But one of my favorite passages with regard to this is out of First Peter five five. Uh, the word picture that's built into it is amazing. He says, Peter says, "You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders." So, in some way, the younger men struggle with submitting themselves to their elders. Um, well. I see that. You see that. Um, they actually are annoyed at you when you correct them, right? Uh, they, they don't want to hear that. Um, they just kind of sit like a lump on the log um, rather than seeing, this man is my elder. How, how do I show him practical respect and honor and submit myself underneath him? Um, but then he expands it away from the younger men to everyone. He says, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Why? For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So he's like, we are all 
to clothe ourselves with humility because God will actively oppose you if you're not. But the, the word picture there, the word actually used for humility there or clothing yourself is it's the idea of tying on an apron of a slave. Mm-hmm. Um, when you went into a house in those days, there was a uniform, so to speak, of a slave. And when that slave was there attired in that way, you knew that they were there to serve you. He says, look, that's the way we should be toward one another. So um, I've often said this into our church, you know, how often do you pull into the parking lot and in your mind, metaphorically tie that slave's apron on? When you walk through that door, are you coming in to serve somebody or to be served? And radical things happen when you start walking through doorways, into airports, into restaurants, into your home, and you've, you're, you've already tied on the servant's uh, or slave's apron and you're ready to serve. Um, it's huge. If a person simply committed for a month to prayerfully seek different ways that he or her uh, might function as a slave to somebody else in the church, just... I guess I'm going to give that as an assignment. Uh, I mean, I can't enforce it to them, but for everyone who's listening to this, think, think prayerfully think about ways that you could sl- be a slave to somebody else at the church, how you can just simply come in, look for them, and see how you can serve. Can I get you a cup of coffee? It's something like that. Can I, can I walk you to the door? You see an older lady. If she doesn't have her husband, she may not have much uh, physical contact with humans. Um, Put your arm around her. Mm-hmm. Put your arm out and let her put her arm hand through your arm and escort her into the church. How are you? How's your day? What's going on? You look beautiful today. What a lovely dress! And she's smiling. Well, you're making her day. It's it's such a simple way. It's it's really where your one another's come into play, right? right? You learn to bear the burdens of others. You give preference to one another. You serve one another. All of those one another's come into play when you die to yourself and you say, I'm going to put on the apron of a slave. Yeah, something very counter-cultural to a consumer culture. So some people serve others also for the wrong reasons. Yeah. We know this. They, they, you know, they want to be recognized or have friends. This can be a subtle sin that can also be very painful for others. If you're not recognized for your serving, you can become bitter. Uh, you break friendships because they're not giving back to you, but you want necessarily you choose to serve in safe ways so that you don't have to serve in painful ways Mm. that's um that's a that's a that's a huge one huh yeah so for example you give notes or comments to a friend who's you know maybe doing a lot of folly but you won't actually sit and inquire about their soul and actions yeah so they they make foolish choices and you say hey i'm praying for you friend but have you ever actually talked to them about their decisions yeah (laughs) um yeah, and you know, some serve other people uh, simply to bring them under obligation to them now. Um, and so it really just becomes a power play. That's another common one. Yeah, so don't underestimate your ability to take even the command to die to self as a way to sin. <laughs> um, you do it to really die to yourself. You're not doing it so that people, hey, look at me. Um, the Lord knows your heart. And and he can easily make you not be recognized for your incredible acts of service because your incredible acts of service are, in fact, not service at all. But look at me, power play, stuff like yep. that. Well, 
I think we said enough. Yeah. Um, We hope we gave enough for you to think about in your own life, though. You know, ask yourself, how do your life choices reflect a hope in something that's beyond the here and now? How do you practice saying no to your comforts um, or your desires? Or how do you train yourself? That's a good one. uh, To look beyond yourself and to the needs and well-being of others. We would just say, think about those. Uh, You will become a blessing to your church leaders, we know and also to those around you as you simply learn to apply this in your situation. And you will see that there is much joy in learning to die to yourself. All right, so tune in next time as we continue to deal with various biblical doctrines and applications. Uh, But until then, make sure to tune in, join this conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts on dying to self. Uh, Give us a five-star rating and leave a review on iTunes. Don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review on your platform of choice. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and tell a friend. Mm